Welcome to the Noble Eight Podcast, Ape Reality. I'm Tom Barbelay, and today, graphics. What's happened with the graphics and various other musings? I'm just recovering from a kind of steamroller virus. Steamroller because it feels like you've been run over by a steamroller. And I do reflect that uh, recovering from sickness seems to be the major condition for me actually recording an Ape Reality podcast. So I want to apologise for the lack of podcasts, but I think there's something about having a high fever that just puts one's mind in the perfect level to record a podcast, hence my current discussion. Well, a few bits and pieces before I start on talking about the graphics. Firstly, I need to apologise to Rudolf in the Netherlands, who has emailed me frequently. I was tidying up in a kind of post-fever haze, and I discovered the t-shirt that was supposed to be mailed to him about probably four weeks ago now, so I got online and immediately emailed him out one direct from Cafe Press to avoid any hassle with me getting to a post office and other related nonsense, so that t-shirt is on the way. For those unfamiliar, I have a thing going over the lifetime of these podcasts, which is that if you contact me, I will send you a t-shirt or an original manual, and this is somewhat incentive, I guess, for folks to get in contact contact and also incentive in terms of people walking around as necessarily billboards or advertisements but certainly something that has some connection back to Noble Ape so there's always a slightly ulterior motive with the t-shirts so if you feel uh, averse to that kind of use of your body I'd consider an original manual that will only be abusing your mind in any case I've just sent a long letter to a friend of mine in Australia who is remotely inaccessible who I knew through a friend for a number of years in the early early 90s and it's strange writing a letter to someone who's quite inaccessible. I don't think in current day and age that really people, well certainly most of the people I correspond with almost by necessity are quite inaccessible, but there are a certain group of people in Australia and I know this country and other countries as well who ultimately seek out being inaccessible and this is something I'm I'm sympathetic towards in some regard, unless of course I'm trying to contact you. Which comes to Steve Grand. I haven't heard anything more from Steve Grand. His telephone stopped working and I've got to send the guy out an email just basically saying, well, if you want to make contact, make contact. Similarly with Jonathan Klein, who I know is about. I'm just suspecting he's either on holiday or swamped or things like that. I'd like to get him on for a biota chat in the near future. So we move on to the graphics. Well, while I've been sick, I've been tinkering with the simulation both in a virtual sense and an actual sense, I reflect that there's some quality of a delusional fever which seems to lend itself very heavily to the Noble Ape development. You'll recall that the formative days of the Noble Ape development was when I was suffering from glandular fever for about four, maybe six months. And as I don't partake in hallucinogens or even alcohol, currently I'm ultra boring in that regard. Really my high fever periods are the only times that I can have a kind of out of body creative mimetic experience, let's just say. So I came from this thinking about the OpenGL implementation, went back, dusted off the old GLUT code, recompiled the GLUT code with a contemporary simulation, all the source is available, slash source slash sim 686.zip, we'll get you the source if you're interested, and ran GLUT to a similar level to the contemporary oscillate interface and was thoroughly unimpressed. This is really sad news for folks wanting an OpenGL implementation simulation in the near future, because I just thought it was ridiculous. I mean, I was so thoroughly unimpressed and actually disgusted enough to satirise it for my wife running, in one instance, the OpenGL implementation, in another instance, the Ocelot implementation. Ocelot can now run at uh, 10.24, 10.24, and it does it on my Mac Mini, uh, probably about... 
10 to 12 frames a second quite comfortably. OpenGL was having problems with a frame every other second. Similar resolution, similar landscape, it's just not cutting the mustard. So it's kind of sad reflection on the folk at Intel, but mm, the only real feedback I can give in terms of why it's so slow and one of my frustrations with these graphics cards is if you have a static model there needs to be a way that you can pass the static model into the graphics card so the graphics card can maintain the static model whilst you do camera manipulations and things like that if i could do that in some way without having to do all the additional nonsense and refeed the static model every frame i think opengl could be really fast but from all the tutorials and all the stuff i've read i can't find any way of actually doing that so i know there are lots of far smarter folk that listen to this podcast and i'm not in any way being deprecating I'm perfectly honest with you that's the fact you, you humour me with your ears so if anyone knows of a way that you can get a model for example a landscape model a particularly highly detailed landscape model for a single feed into OpenGL so you're not constantly resending that landscape model into the OpenGL environment please email me tom at noble8.com because as far as I can see that's the slowdown if I could get the world and the various entities in the world into the 3D environment once without having to constantly reload that then I'm sure it would be a lot faster but unfortunately I'm having to pass in in the vicinity of a million polygons to make it look anything like Ocelot. So from that experience and the satirization for my wife et al, I went back to Ocelot and started looking at what concerned me about Ocelot. The first thing is the kind of stochastic movement where you flip backwards and forwards and it kind of rotates continuously and the solution that I found to that which I've implemented in the code you want to download source slash sim 686.zip is to refine the turning to 256 quantized turn points or quantized angles in a noble eight rotation previously it was 64 now it's 256 and it makes the rotation a lot smoother i wrote a refining turning algorithm with regards to how the apes decide where they're going to be going and that all seems to be working i've tested it for i think about three hours i ran it for and it seems to all work fine the problem with adjusting anything with regards to the turning and radius is you've got to check the movement code as well and there's kind of an iterative cycle in adjustment but it seemed to be working fine there wasn't a lot of overpopulation things seem to be working together coherently the other thing I want to add is weather and really what I'm doing now is currently backing myself into a corner because obviously when you develop your own graphics algorithm you're going to have to be developing every aspect of your own graphics algorithm this is why I really like someone in the podcast who knows more about OpenGL than I do to get in contact with regards to the single load of the object because I think that would dramatically improve the speed but then again I suspect OpenGL really just wasn't written for this kind of stuff it could be something that is only doable in DirectX which again would be frustrating but still necessary if that is a viable option so backing off with regards to graphics the other thing I've been thinking about is this whole analogy with regards to hobbies and artificial life and I've reflected particularly heavily on my discussion with regards to model trains or whatever they call it in this country I think model railway rotor or whatever they call it you know it's amazing how one thing can have three different names and three different countries and anyway model trains going around some kind of layout and the thing that fascinates me looking at similar kinds of obsessive engineering hobbies is that they really fall in two separate camps one is kind of collective involvement and there you've got things like radio controlled cars and things like that where you go down to tracks and get together in groups and these kind of things and then you have single isolation hobbies of which model railway building or whatever is fundamentally one of those and 
I think there is a refining element that's needed. But the other thing that you may miss in this kind of broad discussion is the idea of standards and how standardisation actually makes these hobbies work in a great extent. It would be great in the future if there was a Brevet AI Planet, Darwin at Home, Darwin Bots, Noble 8 common interface. And there was some standardised way to pass your Noble 8s into Brevet and pass your, you know, your Brevet creatures into Darwin at Home and all these kind of things. And that is something that I floated back when Darwin at Home was Biota at Home, but it's never really gelled with regards to others yet. Um, maybe they kind of understood where I was coming from. But it just occurs to me that there are a certain number of things that need to go together to actually make artificial life as a kind of ongoing hobbyist development that enables individuals to contribute in ways other than writing their own, you know, storm in a teacup little simulation environments or reinventing the wheel more fundamentally. So the thing that occurs to me is that standards are the introduction to that. And standards commercially and the way standards are formed and these kind of things is a thing in and of itself and a very rarely successful in terms of the kind of groups that artificial life lends itself to. So it occurs to me that really all it requires is two or three simulators to get together and start the ball rolling. And I know a few simulators actually listen to this podcast. So I'd like to put a call out, and I will do the same with the biota.org podcast, however I'd like to put a call out here for folks that are interested in developing standards, and standards which are initially just a means of communicating information between the various simulation environments, but ultimately standards that lend themselves towards modularization of the various components. And I think that's the kind of secondary part. It's one thing to be able to save a file in Noble Ape and import it into Brevet, but it's another thing to have a Noble Ape module which is standard accessible to Brevet and maybe something Brevet that's standard accessible to Noble Ape, as things are currently, the interfaces with these things are, are in no way defined, not even standardised. It would be great just to have collaboration between two simulators in order to get these basic things nutted out. But I am trying. I mean, you'll hear in the biota.org chat recently with Bruce Damer, and I hope if and when we get John Klein on, similar thing will happen, that there is a bit of discussion towards, you know, moving some of these projects closer together. But if I look at the kind of model train example as an analogy to what we are doing with artificial life, it turns to the obsessive hobbyist component only, not the commercial success or various other aspects. It really would require some degree of standardisation to actually appeal to more hobbyists than exists currently, which lends itself very slightly into the final topic that I wanted to put into this podcast, which is with regards to the book project, the ongoing saga of the book project, now into its, I think, probably sixth month. So I gathered together a list of agents, 24 total, I think probably 10 in the UK and the remaining in the US, sent out my proposal and my first chapter to all, with the view that these people may or may not have the right editorial contacts, and that's the feedback that I'm getting so far, that all the folks who have gone back in contact with me have said that it's a very strong proposal and it's obviously a go project in terms of the background and my ability to deliver. Their only concern really is with regards to contemporary publishing and the editorial context that they have. Obviously the role of an agent in this situation is to use their editorial contacts in order to get a book published so they can make money, or at least so 
So initially a, a contract can be written for the publication of a book in the future. So that's the situation currently. I'm really optimistic, actually. My feeling is the feedback that I've gotten from the seven so far indicates to me that in the remaining there is probably the right person. It just requires them to kind of gel onto the project. The longer they take is also a good thing, strangely. All these kind of reverse rules that are bringing themselves out through this process. What fascinates me about this process is I don't think anyone has tried to do this in a popular setting for the past 15 years with regards to artificial life. I'd be fascinated to hear from others. Obviously Steve Grand is on the fence in some regards with regards to his own publications, but I'm not sure that anyone has in the past 15 years tried to get a popular book published on artificial life going through the broadest means of popular publishing as I'm doing through agents to get a sense of what the you know, popular view is of artificial life and whether folks believe that there is actually a viable book project within this genre. You know, I'd love to hear from others that have tried this, maybe Marcia Kamczynski, maybe a few others have thought about doing this, but to actually go through the process now with an actual product and these kind of things is, is proving very interesting. It's very interesting on a number of levels. And I think it gives me a sense of the subject matter even more in getting a kind of popular understanding of how this will filter back into publishing. Now, if after 24 agents have looked over it and none of them are interested, it's an interesting position. I've talked previously in the podcast that I then go through academic publication, but there is a possible iteration here where I just rework the book again. 7 to 17 isn't a, a good ratio to start thinking about those kind of things. But maybe when it's 20 to 4, or maybe when it's, uh, you know, 17 to 7, then I might start thinking about whether there are structural elements of the book that can change. One of the agents, I think explicitly, has represented a For Dummies author, and there could be an artificial life for dummies book. I'm, I'm not proud. I'm really not proud with regards to getting this information out. I don't have a, you know, highfalutin way that the information will get out. So it fascinates me if the, and the For Dummies agent hasn't yet gone back in contact, so it could be very promising in that regard. Another thing I wanted to clarify is that I'm approaching a broad number of agents not because I'm doing some kind of shotgun approach with this, but just there is no distinguishing factor between all these agents currently. It's a very difficult process to actually consider how you're going to approach each of them individually, and I spent between half an hour and an hour and a half on each of these agents in terms of working out whether they would be ideal or how to approach them and these kind of things. So it's not just that I've gone down a list of people and sent them the proposal in the first chapter. No, it's been a process that has taken quite a bit of time in the approach, hence it merits a discussion in the Ape Reality podcast. So I'm sure all my collective listeners have their fingers crossed with regards to the book project. I certainly think it has some potential and you folk will be the first to know if there's any movement on that front. Obviously the next stage is, if it's positive, it's securing an agent and then doing the necessary approaches with regards to publication. But it's all learning. It's all been absolutely fascinating. So more on that and a number of other topics when I next record an Ape Reality podcast. Hopefully it won't be the July mail. Hopefully I'll be able to get to one since that time that I am recovering from a virus. Thank you very much for tuning into this podcast. Tom at Noble8.com. Any feedback, ideas for future podcasts, etc. Look forward to you tuning into the next podcast.